Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you. It is just gone 11 minutes past two on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. It's wonderful to be back in your company. I do apologize for not having been around for the last few weeks, but it was all for good reason. Thank God for a personal family simcha, uh, which took place abroad, and great to be back and great to be with you. I don't know if you missed uh, hearing from me at all, but uh, I certainly missed being with you and being able to share some thoughts with you on Judaism 101.9. Good to be back, and let's get started. Well, we're going to be talking today a little bit about on this um, Judaism 101.9 um, a topic that I picked to try and discuss today or to unpack a little bit of is the concept of prayer, of tefillah, particularly in light, of course, of what is happening in Israel, uh, what has happened, uh, the prayers that are being uttered uh, so often. Um, and we often think about, I guess, do our prayers help? What is Jewish prayer all about? Why is it that we pray? Um, and how can we be assured, I guess, that uh, these prayers are being heard and that, in fact, they will be successful? We hope that they certainly will, and we hope to very, very soon hear good news of uh, the redemption of the captives, of comfort for those who have lost loved ones, of um, healing for the wounded, and, of course, of success, victory um, for good over some terrible, terrible evil that we have uh, unfortunately seen unfold not only in uh, Gaza, uh, in Israel, a uh, month ago, but um, around the world in the fanning of the flames and uh, a sort of an awakening of uh, what was somewhat latent latent, uh, anti-Semitism, which has now come to the fore. And the question, of course, is rabbis around the world and people around the world are saying, well, we need to pray. We need to daven. We need to daven to Hashem. And um, we can be forgiven for asking the question, you know, does prayer help? What is Jewish prayer all about? Um, What are we asking for? How do we ask? And what is the way, the structure of how we do this all? So perhaps to unpack that a little bit, but I'd like to begin with something that I found rather fascinating, and that is that there was a little clip of news, um, and as I encouraged the last time we were on this uh, uh, program, uh, people should only listen to good news, not circulate and listen to bad news or things that come from suspect places, but there was a little clip of um, some of the Israeli soldiers who were praying, davening, in a really old shul in uh, a... I think they said a 5th or a 6th century shul in Gaza for the first time in a long, long time that um, Jews were there, <coughs> able to daven in that shul. Um, and it actually called to mind um, something that I noticed, and that is that today is the yard site of Reb Avrom Azulai, who passed away in 1643. Reb Avrom was a famous Kabbalist, and he resided in three different places. Um, it says in his biography, he'd resided in Hebron, in Yerushalayim, and in Gaza. 
Um, and he authored the Chesed Lavrom. He was the great-grandfather of Reb Chaim Yosef David Azulai, who was known as the Chido. Now, interesting as well is Reb Avram's signature had the appearance of a ship to commemorate the time when the ship he was traveling on capsized, along with all his possessions, and miraculously he was saved. It's his yard site today. Where, perhaps, did he too, Davin, if he lived in 1643, maybe even in that same shul? There's something about a connection that goes on way, way beyond what we can imagine um, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to davening. We're not only connecting with the people who davened there before, but of course we're connecting with each other, with those who daven with us, and of course more so connecting with God Almighty. Now when we think about the concept of tefillah per se, prayer, where does prayer actually emanate from? Because um, there are those who might argue and might say, nowhere in the Torah does it say, we must pray, and we must pray three times a day, and so on. And so where did it actually all come from? Well, perhaps we need to explore and think about who were the first people that we have on record as having prayed. Who were the first prayers in this world? Well, the Midrash actually records that the very first person who was called upon to say a prayer was Adam. Garden of Eden, Adam is called upon to pray. Why? God, we're told, made the whole world full of all the goodness and all the wonderful things that he implanted in the world. But nothing grew. The seeds were in the ground, but they didn't grow. And the first instruction that was given right in the beginning of the creation of man was pray to God. And through your prayers, I will send rain, and that rain will come down and water the ground and water those uh, plants, those seeds that are beneath the ground, and they will blossom, they will flourish, and the prayers will be heeded and they will be answered. And by so doing, you, Adam, and man thereafter will become my partners in creation. You'll continue the creation. You'll continue bringing goodness into the world. And so prayer actually not only became a way of making requests, but it became a tremendous empowerment for men, for Adam and for all his descendants, that when we pray, we're actually not only requesting from God for things that he should, that we ask him to do and we want him to do, but in fact we are empowering ourselves that we, as God's people, as God's children, are able to kind of close this uh, chain, this link that we have with God Almighty and become partners in creation to continue God's creation in the same way that God created a world that he wanted filled with goodness, with kindness, with love, with um, uh, great and wonderful things. So, too, when we pray, we connect with all of those attributes of God and of godliness. We bring them into the world and we certainly can and do make this world a far, far better place. We go on in uh, the Torah exploring differences and different places and different times of prayer, praying, and what it's all about from a Jewish point of view. But we'll be back to explore that. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So we've been exploring, um, or we're going to be exploring in this next segment as well, a about prayer how do our prayers work? Where do they come from? Um, what's the intention? What do they actually do? Um, and the first off 
the cuff um, thing that we have is that prayer originates in the Garden of Eden, actually, when Adam was instructed to pray and in that way became partners with God. And in, that is part of our purpose of prayer. It's un- unity with Hashem. But where does that lead us to and where do we take it from there? Well, we've often discussed here, even on this program before, the foundation of the word daven. We talk about davening. We even said it before, that the soldiers were davening in the shul in Gaza. What does davening mean? And a lot of people think that it's a Yiddish word. Um, there are those who say that it actually comes from the Aramaic um, a word of da'avin. We do what our fathers did. Da'avin. We're behaving like our fathers did. We learned how to pray from our fathers. Now, which fathers? Somebody might say, but my father never prayed, or my father prayed like this, and I don't pray like that. Um, We're talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of course, because it's pretty clear from our uh, general liturgy, and we do begin all our prayers, our main prayer services, we begin by saying that God is the God, Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchok, Elokei Yaakov. God is the God of Abraham, God is the God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. And why do we mention them, perhaps, in the beginning? Of our prayers is because we're told that Abraham, Avram, Vayashkem, Avram, Baboiker. Avram got up early in the morning. He didn't get up early in the morning uh, to go for a run or to go to gym. He got up early in the morning to daven. He got up early in the morning to pray, to connect with God. That was his time. And he taught us the concept of morning prayer, of Shacharit. We think about Yitzchak, where it says that Yitzchak <coughs> was out in the field in the afternoon. Remember, that was the time that he met his wife, um, uh, Rivka, who was being brought back by Eliezer from Choron. This was a moment where he was out in the field. What was he doing in the field? He wasn't doing a geography project or uh, perhaps uh, looking at nature. He was, in fact, out there praying. His time of prayer was in the afternoon, Mincha time. And then, of course, we have the famous um, story of Yaakov Avinu, of Jacob, lying down as he did on the Temple Mount, um, and having the dream of the Sulam Mutsav Arza, of the uh, ladder that was uh, posted on earth, but uh, pointed to Shammayim, pointed to heaven, and that the Malachim, the Malachay Elohim, Olim Yordimbo, that those angels were going up and coming down on the ladder. And the ladder of prayer uh, was then in the evening, and that was Yaakov's time of prayer. So they gave us the concept of praying perhaps three times a day, Shachrit, Mincha, and Mairiv, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. And when we do that, it's Davin. We're doing like our fathers did, the concept of prayer. And what was their concept of prayer? Their prayers were a way of, number one, recognition of God, a proclamation of the fact that God is the one God and God exists, and the need, of course, to not only praise God, but to connect with God and um, tell God at every juncture that we believe in you, that we know that you're there and that we know that good things happen at your behest and unfortunately bad things at your behest as well, but everything has a rhyme, everything has a, has a reason, and we stand here humbled by being able to not only connect with you and we need direction, we want God you to please answer our prayers and not only answer our prayers but to empower us to be able to do a lot more um, in this world that you have given us to work on to perfect to heal to fix and to make good so abram isaac and jacob prayers but we have quite clearly the idea of prayer um, enumerated in many other places within uh, the bible stories within the torah itself <clears throat> for instance 
For instance, we have um, Avraham Avinu, Abraham, praying for, not only for himself, but praying. We had this in the parsha that we read last week, that Avraham Avinu, Abraham, prays for Avimelech and his people to be healed. A fascinating story. Avimelech captures Listen to it. He captures Sarah, Imenu, he captures Sarah. He saw a woman. He took her. He took her um, to his uh, place. Um, he saw a beautiful woman. His men took her, and um, she famously said um, that she and Avraham Avinu confirmed it, of course, that they were brother and sister rather than husband and wife. Um, and he takes her, and then a plague befalls him. Um, his entire people literally unable to function. They're, all their bodily functions, all their apertures are closed. They're unable to function in any any uh, manner of means, and he realizes that there's something wrong. He has this vision, this dream in the night where God tells him, you have taken the wife of Avraham, and he is a saintly man, is a tzaddik, and so on, and what you need to do now is make sure that you don't touch Sarah, that you give her back, and that you acknowledge Avram, and that you uh, do the right thing, and you ask Avram to pray for you. And he does that. He asks Avram, I mean, he asks Abram to pray for him, and he recognizes that it's Avram's prayers that actually brought about the fixing or the reversal of that plague. It was taken away from him. Ah, oh, he didn't stop for a moment not to. Um, he put the blame on Avram, you know, of course, everything is our fault. He put the blame on Avram and he said to him, um, you're the one who caused this all actually because you told me that she was your sister and you didn't tell me that she was your wife as though that justifies uh, chopping a woman just because she's beautiful and just because you are uh, empowered and you think you're empowered to be able to do that. Um, fascinating little little uh, uh, tidbit of, uh, of 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 information there, but the fact is that prayer, Avimelech, the world recognizes that prayer is something that this great tzaddik can do, and that he has this contact, he has this ability to pray to God. He does it. He prays. We're told, and the plague is reversed. And it wasn't for himself anymore. That he prayed, he prayed for others. And the comments of the Torah scholars, of course, and commentators is that Avram Avinu Abraham prayed for others and that was why he was answered first. If someone davens for somebody else, you are answered first if you need the same thing. So Avram Avinu, Abram and Sarah didn't have a child at that stage. They were promised that it was going to happen, but it hadn't come to fruition. And Avram Avinu Abraham prays for Avimelech and his people, and he is answered first because the next verse says that Hashem remembered his promise to Sarah Emenu, and he made her conceive, and she had a child, and the child, of course, was Yitzchak. So what was the prayer all about? Prayer is where we actually ask for things not always directly for ourselves, but we ask for the healing of the world. We ask for others. We pray for others. And we are told by Torah, by our sages, that undoubtedly when you pray for somebody else and you are in need of the same thing, you will be answered first. And in fact, they even put a pin in it because uh, they say, you know, like maybe then your prayers are in some way a little bit insincere. Um they could become, not that they are, they could become insincere. What am I actually praying for? I'm going to pretend that I'm praying for somebody else um, and do that and because I know that then I'll be guaranteed to be answered first. 
They say, you can do that. It's fine. You're allowed to do that. Um, you certainly can. And uh, it shouldn't, of course, be the way we function. But if someone prays for somebody else because he wants to be answered first, good, great, wonderful. As long as we're praying for others, as long as we have others in our prayers, there is something incredibly powerful about that. Let's perhaps unpack for a moment and think about where the word prayer, tefillah in Hebrew, actually comes from. There are a number of meanings to this word. The word tefillah can mean the concept, as it's, it's spoken about in Torah, as judgment. We're judging. Now, it's not that we're judging, but the fact is tefillah, the, the root of it, and the concept of tefillah is judgment. And this is perhaps the idea behind it, and that is when we stand before God, we are meant to judge ourselves. So you can't stand before God and pray with an arrogance and pray with a self-centeredness. But then you're making no place for God. You need to judge yourself and think about where I've slipped up, what I could have done better. Am I being full of myself? Am I being arrogant? Are my prayers all for show? Am I um, actually thinking deeply into what I'm saying? Um, am I actually paying the right amount of respect and um, and concentration to my prayers? Judgment, judge, the concept of prayer, tefillah, the word of judging or of judgment, and it's supposed to be self-judgment thinking about just how small I am, how great I could be, how great God is, and how he takes care of every little detail of my life and the lives of all those around me, and in fact, of everything that goes on in this entire world. The second uh, meaning behind the word tefillah, which we see actually, um, it's actually enumerated a little bit later on in Torah, where we have the story of the birth of the children of Yaakov Avinu. One of the children is called Naphtali. Naphtali. Um, beautiful Hebrew name. A lot of boys around with the name Naphtali. But it says that Rachel said, Naphtule Elohim Naphtalti. You remember that Naphtali was born to Bilha, who was Rachel's maidservant. So there was kind of this surrogacy um, that went on. Um, in the birth of some of these children, her maidservant gave birth to a second son uh, for her to Yaakov. And it says that Rochel said, Naftule Elohim Naftalti. The word tefillah is the same root there. Imachosi. Now, it's translated in most of the Chumashim. It says, um, I've prayed, my prayers have been heard, etc. But um, the commentators point out that, in fact, that word naftule, or that idea of naftalti, of naftali, is the idea of connection. This was the way that I was able to connect properly, she was saying, with my sister. Um, the idea of connection. Now, interestingly enough, it's not just fila of connection with God, but it's connection with those around us who we pray with. Remember, Jewish prayer is not meant to be, it can be, but it's not meant to be done in private. It's meant to be connecting with all the others who are present. Prayer in Judaism is communal, communal prayers, community prayers. We want to daven together with a minion. There's a tremendous amount of stuff that is not said 
in our private prayers, but is said in our communal prayers. Now, just that alone should lead you to understand that there is so much that, um, so much more that we can do when we pray together. A lot of people say, you know what, I find it so much more, um, peaceful and so much more I'm so much more undistracted when I can stand in the privacy of my own private space and I can pray to God and surely that is um, a much better kind of a prayer. Well, God himself has instructed us through our sages and through Torah that when we dive and when we pray, it should rather be in the public arena. It should rather be in your shuls, in your bate knesset, in your bate medrash. It should rather be in a minyan. It should rather be in public that our prayers are uttered. That doesn't mean you can't pray alone, but it means that it's a far, far better uh, for a Jew to pray in a public, in a communal environment and to take our prayers seriously. It's not really about um, just popping in and, as they say in the classics, knocking it off, getting it over and done with as quickly as possible. And you kind of have the questions that are often asked of rabbis, I guess, around the world. If, then Not that many people who ask what time the prayer service starts, but they'll always ask what time it finishes. And that's not only because they want to be there for the Kiddush on Shabbos, but it's also, of course, just a natural thing. You know, we've got so much more else on the go. We've got to know that we're out of there by a certain time daily and a certain time on Shabbos and so on. But the idea of prayer surely has to be a lot more than that. And the idea of davening together, of praying together, is the way that we connect with each other. So it's not only a connection with God, with the God Almighty, but it's a connection also, as we have mentioned, with our forefathers who held prayer to be so significant and so important. And then, of course, it's a connection with ourselves because we too need to judge ourselves. And then, of course, it's connecting with the others around us. So the concept of prayer is tefillah, prayer, meaning not only judgment, but connection. It helps us to connect. And as we connect and we are together, we are so much more powerful. We're so much stronger in every realm and in every way, not only in the things that we say and that we bequest or that we request, but rather in the things that we can accomplish, we can achieve with our prayers in the way that we go about them. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So we're talking about prayer and its power. We've explored and we've thought about actually where prayer came from, the concept of this uh, personal conversation or this communal conversation with God. Um, In fact, when we think about the way that it was instituted according to Torah, we didn't actually have prayer services. We rather had um, what are known as sacrifice services, but rather um, donation services. There were services when we actually brought something. We brought a korban. A korban is often termed a sacrifice, but it's rather better termed an offering, something of ourselves that we're giving to God at times of difficulty, at times of prosperity, at times of happiness, and so on. Different times and the, the Chagim, the festivals, Shabbos and so on, there are different times when these services, that was the service. The service was we were doing something to serve God. You often have people talk about the shul service. A shul service is not to be confused with like a car service where they fix up, although maybe that is uh, part of the idea that uh, we're fixing the broken parts and so on. But it's really the idea of serving God, serving God Almighty. That is the service that we are conducting. And it was 
rather much more practical in a um, a temple time where an offering was brought, where something was brought and it was offered and you kind of felt the pain and you felt the uh, connection, you felt the gain. Since the temple was destroyed, we no longer have those services and we have replaced them with um, prayer services, actual services, which by and large and very often enumerate and think about and talk about the various offerings that were brought. We start off our daily prayers with a whole um, uh, liturgy of all the offerings that were brought at various times. And, of course, we're used to it when we think about the service, the avoda where it's actually mentioned, for instance, in the prayers of Yom Kippur, but it's actually on every Shabbos, every Yom Tov, every day that we mention, we talk about the various different services um, that were brought at various different times and various different occasions. So that was the idea of service. It's been replaced, of course, with prayer services. But there with the idea of an offering, which we try, of course, to emulate in our prayer services, it was all about getting close to God. Now, how do we get close to God? So we're told uh, by our sages that a proper prayer should include um, praising God, asking God for your needs, and thirdly, thanking God for everything he gives you. So if we kind of have that as a um, an overriding uh, three-point plan of what our prayers are supposed to achieve, accomplish, and do, number one is praising God. Number two is Asking God for your needs, and number three is thanking God for everything he gives you. If you think about it, I've often used this uh, kind of term. I guess it's um, open to scrutiny, but um, it kind of works. If you were to call up an elderly parent and uh, call them, ask them for something, or perhaps take a kid, a child, a student, whatever, is living overseas and they run short of cash, and they need to call their uh, parents who are back at home, um, you don't just call and say, hi, Dad, send Gash. You um, are going to have a conversation. The conversation will be, how are you? I love you. How's mom? How's the family? I'm inquiring after you. How things going? Um, and um, somewhere in the middle, you'll insert the request um, and say, by the way, I'm running a little bit low on cash. Can you please top up the credit card or whatever it is? And then there'll be... Um, the goodbyes, Dad, I love you, please send love to this one, to that one, etc. Think about you every day, um, and so on, and, and then the goodbyes. In fact, our prayer services are meant to be structured in a similar fashion. There's praise of God, there's asking God for your needs, and then thanking God for everything. We've got to remember that, we've, that our prayers, therefore, encourage us and instruct us to be grateful, to be thankful. One of the things that we sorely lack in a um, society, in a world or whatever, is gratitude. Gratitude for the wonderful things that we have. That's expressed in our prayer services. And then, of course, praise of God. We don't often do that, or we don't do that enough to praise God Almighty for all the wonderful things that he's given us, that he's done for us. Um, And um, hopefully, by doing that, our inserted requests uh, be they personal, be they for others, and hopefully when they are for others that we are answered first, um, they are inserted within that uh, sandwich of beautiful prayers, praise of God, um, asking God for what we need, and then thanking God for everything that he has done for us. All of that makes a well-rounded kind of prayer done communally, helping us to connect on I, helping us to connect with community, with others, helping us to unite in our prayers and also connecting with ourselves 
in the most beautiful fashion possible. That's what tefillah is truly all about. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So I think the world has kind of given prayer a bad name because if you ask the average man in the street, I guess, what is prayer, say, when we ask God for stuff. Um, Jewish prayer is very, very far from that. In fact, we can go through um, volumes of prayer um, without asking for anything. Um, because there is a tremendous amount of our prayer that is praises of God. But our prayers is and are connections. They are connection points of ourselves to God Almighty. They're connection points to ourselves. They're connection points to those around us. And we dare not forget that that is the idea of communal prayer. Um, and Prayer is something that our forefathers have been doing all the way back to Adam, the very first person who was instructed by God to pray, to connect with God in a way whereby there was and there is this kind of shared responsibility, um, a responsibility that we have in our world to not only uh, do all the things that we have to do um, and that we think we have to do, but to complete the world, complete the creation, carry on the good work that God be, uh, began, uh, bring to fruition the things that God implanted within this world, and take responsibility for um, our interactions with the world and the things that we can do to make this world a much brighter, better, and more beautiful place. So as we end off today, let's pray. Let's pray. say, say our prayers um, when we do and when we can for those who are held captive, let's say a prayers for those who are defending us, for the soldiers on the borders and within uh, the war, the battle in Israel and in Gaza. And let's um, continue to daven for the success, as we said at the beginning, of good over evil, the triumph of Israel over her enemies, the um, triumph of um, sanity, of her insanity, the triumph of truth of uh, the lies that unfortunately have been put out um, so much and so vociferously around the world. Let's pray. Let's hope that as we connect and as we unite, um, God Almighty will not only be praised, but will recognize how small we are, how great we can be, how much we can accomplish, how much we can achieve, and hopefully very, very soon our greatest prayers will be answered, that there will be peace on earth, that Mashiach will come, that tears will truly be wiped away from off all faces. And boy, there have been a lot in the last month or so. But hopefully very, very soon we'll see those prayers answered coming to fruition. Let's pray that very soon we will have all of these wonderful things that we think about and that we pray for. But it's up to us. Let's say some prayers. Let's do some stuff that will uh, bring this all about. And I want to wish you then a great rest of the week, a, a great Shabbat up ahead. Look forward to being back with you same time, same place for another episode of Judaism 101.9.